0: Welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equipped Podcast. I'm Pastor Hayden, and I'm joined with this week's preaching pastor, Pastor Evan. Hello there. All right, guys. Hey, at Compass, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, on Sunday, we... Looked at Romans 8:28 through 30 as Pastor Evan was preaching that to us. So why don't we read it and then jump into some insight to the text. It says in verse 28, "...and we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers." And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans eight twenty-eight through 30. Pastor Evan, as we look at this text, uh, what ought we keep in mind from this sermon as the focus of uh, this week's message?
1: Well, the truth in here need to help us to live unwaveringly, living confidently for Christ in the present circumstances that we're in because we remember that God is working everything in our lives toward his wondrously good end. And in remembering that it's his good end, not and his good end is our best good end. It's, it's our best thing that can happen to us. And so that is the one thing I want to help you walk away from is to live unwaveringly for Christ in whatever situation that you're facing.
0: And we looked at, at the points, point number one, find comfort in God's agency. What does the word agency mean, Pastor Evan? The reason why I chose agency is because it's God's
1: active work. And I could have said that, but I love the word agency because we say, okay, this is actively working here. And so it's it's an active work that we can see God doing even now in our own lives, in the lives of the believers, in the lives of the, the churches around the world. God is active, and that needs to bring us comfort, knowing that the most powerful being in the universe is, is on the sideline. No, he's here with us.
0: How do I work through, uh, even as I guess I preached a sermon last week on the idea of the evil and God's sovereignty you have here. And you said something in your sermon and you said your pain is real, but so is your hope. How do we, how can we be able to, uh, understand point number one, find comfort in God's agency when we have these two real seemingly opposed, uh, things in our life that can both be true. It's only
1: opposing because, or opposite, opposite, seemingly opposite, I should say, because we're trying to do things on our own. We want to avoid pain. Uh, I know we can guilt trip the culture saying the culture wants to avoid pain, but we want to do the same thing. We pursue comfort. Um, For example, we don't want to have funerals. We want to have celebrations of life, trying to numb the sting of death. Uh, We don't want, we want the softest couches, the most comfortable couches, not to say the comfortable couch is bad, but we just pursue as much time off as possible from work. And when tragedy hits, we don't know what to do because we want to seek comfort, but also we don't want to disregard the things that we love, especially the people that we love, especially losing a child or losing a parent. It's almost if we seek that comfort, we're doing them a disservice. And the beautiful part is that the Bible just brings in reality and (laughs) say, what does your mom say?
0: Life's rough, and then you
1: die. Yeah, and that's she's a sweet <laughs> gal. She's a nice woman. But it's hey, it's acknowledging yes, this pain is real. This pain is bad. Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus, even though he's gonna know, even though he knew he's gonna raise him from the dead. He wept because he knew the consequences of his sin. The sin, not Jesus' sin, Lazarus' sin, uh, in the sinful world, killed his friend. And he's there to now redeem it and fix it. So how do we find comfort even on our uh, tragedy is to really admit, okay, this is painful and this is hard, but the good news is God knows it. He actually stepped into it. He suffered as well, and he can fix it.
0: And all those things are congruent with the Christian faith, and that's what we need to confess as Bible-believing Christians is like, yes, your pain is real. Okay, all right, let's look at the Bible. Who had pain that was real? Jesus uh, Paul, the apostles, the prophets. Okay, they all had real pain that came from, in a lot of ways, outside sources into their lives, okay? But what was also real was their hope. The prophets looked forward to a future hope. All right, Christ came to be our hope. hope. Paul suffered greatly in light of his hope. And the apostles all died in defending their Hope, hope, And so that's congruent. And so what I would hope you would see, you know, what Pastor Evan as well hopes to see, is like, see, so your pain is real. But that's why you can read your Bible and say, this is all makes perfect sense. Like, n- this is not objectionable. Uh, this isn't contrary to Scripture. Actually, your pain in light of real hope is the biblical message. And so that's why we have, Christianity has the answer to despair and pain in the pages of the Bible. And we want you guys to see that, to say, this is normative. It's normative for me to have real pain and exercise a real hope. And they're not counter to one another. Uh, They are compatible in so many ways, especially uh, between here and glory in eternity. All right, Pastor Evan, we look at point number two. We, We need to engage our present circumstances with God's purpose in mind, uh, there was a, a really good scriptural illustration in Philippians 1, 12 through 14, and how we look at Paul's life, does he drive home this point that you made, point number two?
1: Well, what Paul is doing in Philippians uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, and also in Romans chapter 8, he's trying to give theology for the purpose of driving a reaction to the people he's writing to, for the Philippians to the church in Philippi, to the Romans to the churches in Rome. And so for the Philippians, he's trying to say, hey, don't be discouraged that I'm in prison. Actually be encouraged because even though the world is trying to snuff me out in my ministry, really God has used it to actually expand my ministry and expand his reach to reach Roman soldiers that he would not have been able to really reach, to be able to reach Roman families that he would not have been able to reach, and also to reach inmates that he definitely would not have been able to reach outside of being in prison or a prison guard himself and furthermore he's saying but also look at the reaction of our brothers that they're even more bold to speak the word without fear to preach the gospel without fear and so Paul is saying hey because of this truth that God is working everything together for good and this good is to work out his glory I can be bold even in prison uh, and so of the Roman Church, hey, you can be bold even within your suffering. You can engage your present circumstance correctly, in what is correctly, in a way that exalts and reflects who God is
0: to a watching world. That is one of the most uh, distinctive verses in all of Scripture, when Paul says uh, that my imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. It's like the utter trust and the sovereignty of God in that situation I also think of the um, the paralytic and uh, Jesus. When people said, "Who sinned, this man or his parents?" If he didn't sin. It wasn't the sin. Yeah, he said. He said, "No." Nah. He's like, "No, no one sinned." But that he was, he is this way that that God might be most glorified in his life. And it's like, huh? So this guy was made this way from birth to exhibit real pain his entire life for this fleeting moment when the Son of God passes by him to use him as a illustration to give glory to God through the healing of this man's life was all done in relation to God's will? Yes. You see, and that's why I love, either you said it or you said half of it, and I, I just can't remember, I don't want to quote you or misquote you, but you said something, and I wrote down, how do I exalt Christ right now? Did you say that? Okay, I love that because when, when, okay, a lot of times we don't know, okay, we're in this bad circumstance, and we don't know how to work out God's will in that circumstance. Fair. That is a fair, fair statement. You don't know what God's specific will is, but you do know it enough to do this. What can you do in that exact moment to exalt Christ right now? Because that right there will be God's will in your circumstance, that wherever you find yourself, if you can just ask the question, how do I exalt Christ right now? Because Paul did that. He's in prison. How do I exalt Christ right now? Oh, there all these people in here can't hear the gospel, and I'm here in prison, and I have the gospel. Like He could exalt Christ right then, and he did it. And so the same way for you guys, you want to engage your present circumstance with God's purpose in mind, you need to uh, ask the question, wherever I'm at, how do I exalt Christ right now? And
1: that answers the question, like, what do I do? It's like, okay, you have to understand how do I bring bring Christ's name up for people to see and to respond to. And I can think of, I remember listening to a lecture from Wayne Grudem as he's explaining his systematic theology, talking about his son, his son just, like, at the time recently just got married and his wife died within a month. And he went to his son and said, son, how are you doing? He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And it impacted his dad to say he's like his son lost the love of, his, love of his life in just a short amount of time. And yet he's able to say, I know what I need to do. I need to say what is true. And it, what it happened was that God used that to even encourage the father to say, wow, look how powerful God is to help my son.
0: Hmm. That's good. And then we look at point number three. You fortify your faith with God's guaranteed work. When we look at that, what do we need to focus on when we think about that point? We need to focus on, one, two
1: things. First is who God is and what his work is doing. And two, our response to that truth. I mean, God is giving a lot of theological statements. We, I mean, those he foreknew. We had the doctrine of predestination in verse 29. And those he predestined, again, here the, the the theological um uh, Doctrine of predestination, he justifer, justification, glorification. It's like, wow, these are great truths. And he's not giving a seminary test to these Roman, the Roman churches. He's doing this. He here's these truths so that you can suffer well
0: and endure your suffering knowing mm. that you won. Well, well, let's do a little textual study. We, let's look at Romans 8, 28 through 30, and let's see who the active agent in all these things are, right? And we, who's that? That's the Christian. All right, for all those who love God, who's, whose job is that? Us, right. We, we love God. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his. Who's that? God. Okay. For those whom he foreknew, who's the acting agent? That's God. He predestined, who's the active agent? God. He conformed them to the image of his son? God. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers? God. Those whom he predestined? God. He called? God. And those whom he called? God. He justified? God again. And those who he justified? God once more, He glorified God again, right? So really, when we look here and say, "Okay, well, here's what we've got," here's our active part in this. We love God, mm. and that's still done through the power of God, okay? And we understand that as we are living our lives in faith, according to His purpose, He's going to take care of everything else. All we're doing is loving Him and living for Him. That's it. And even the, I love this. Even with the uh, way, or uh, let me let me use the word. Uh, qualitative way in which I love Him is still empowered by Him. Like in the measure that I love Him is still Him working out that measure of love to Him in my life and every single thing He's going to take care of. And so that, point number three, should fortify your faith with the guaranteed work of God because He's doing all of these things. He's just asking you to love Him and live for Him. He's going to enact all the rest of the things in your life. And the reason why I said fortify your faith is
1: because it's not just like oh my, my the my intellectual thoughts about God is, is now reinforced. Now the faith is you actually living out what God calls you to do in faith. And so it needs to fortify that. So as we wait upon the Lord, as we talked about waiting, as I quoted in a book called The End of Anxiety, waiting on God is exercising confidence in his perfect timing and so it's being faithful to do what you need to do according to what God's word has to say and keep doing it knowing that God's at work and two God's going to complete the work so three I can trust whenever he completes that work he's going to do it so I can stay faithful despite whatever suffering or whatever obstacle I'm facing I can do what God wants me to do and so that's why I want you to fortify your faith as you walk with this week going my faith you know enacted and lived out is because I am trusting in the guaranteed of work of God, knowing that he's conforming me to his image and he's going to finish it in, our, in my
0: glorification. It's as good as done. Because he did it. Because he did it. And we talked to our life group leaders, even you talked about it in your sermon, that last word glorified in all of those words. But when we think of glorified, we always think of that as such a future event. But yet in the text, grammatically, it's not singularly talking about a future event. It's talking about a past event that's crazy because it's as good as done and mm-hmm. that's the
1: emphasis Paul's like nothing can and that's why I love he, in verse 31 to 39 I didn't even talk about it in the uh, my sermon but that's what the context is like what shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us we can't lose if our glorification is so certain we're more than conquerors. We can go out and live faithfully,
0: the Christian faith, no matter how hard the persecution gets. And and if you you missed that, that whole future past thing, just think about the text. If you look at verse 30, it doesn't say that he justified these people and those whom he justified, he will also glorify. That's not what the text says. It said he has also glorified, like it's already been accomplished of that end of being glorified It's already been done. Not that you are now glorified. But like Pastor Evan saying, it's sealed. Like, it's going to happen. That's why we live in such great trust and faith and zeal for the Lord, because all the things that we could ever want and imagine are all been sealed and prepared for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we can run the race knowing that we're going to win the prize. It's like the baseball analogy, right? Imagine you hit the ball
1: over the fence you can run the bases. I mean, in the game of baseball, you're running the bases trying to beat the ball. The ball's coming at you, they're trying to tag you, they're trying to do everything in the power to stop you. But when you hit the home run, they can't stop you. Can run with confidence. You can make fun of them. You can whatever you want to do. But can, not whatever you want to do. But not in the Christian walk. Right. I'm talking about baseball. <laughs> um, and in baseball, you can run the bases because the defense they just look at you. They can't do it. They're powerless. And that's the beauty of it is that God has done the work, and we get to run the race, of waiting for Him to call. Run at home plate, and Satan and his demons are looking at God completely powerless and disarmed
0: because they can't do anything about it. Right, and let's flesh out this because, yes, right, it's a good analogy. All analogies break down at some point, but it's a good analogy because the, you still have to run the race. I mean, Scripture makes it clear that you, everyone runs the race. We all have to run the race. Paul actually says, uh, I have ran the race. I fought the good fight of faith. There is an exertion of effort in walking after God. The good news is though uh, the efficacy of the work is not based on the outcome of what you've done, but what God has already done in Christ. And so the, the only people that are going to, I think convolute that idea is people who want to try to give objections to Christianity to say, well, isn't that working? Isn't that legal? It's like who in the world Would not try. I mean, your children who love you, who are probably incapable of doing most anything, and you're at the beach and they build you a sandcastle. Well, that thing is probably going to look pretty decrepit, right? It just will. They have no ability, no understanding of architecture, no understanding of the density of sand and water, right? They just don't know. But when they do it, and because they're your child and they show you what they have done, you, as the parent, look at that and are pleased because the child did that to please you. But How are they your child? Because of your work. Yeah, your work. You did it. You're the one who brought that child to the beach. You're the one that gave him the tools, and you're the one that said, go for it, son. And when it doesn't look great know that I'm going to help you and I'm going to make it look great. As a matter of fact, I've already made it look great. And also you're still in a relationship with me. Right. Not because of anything you did. You didn't do it. Right. So of course, all analogies will fall apart at some place. But the point of the matter is it doesn't mean you're not going to work for God. It's like, well, my my dad's the best castle sand builder in the universe. Well, that doesn't mean you're still not going to go build it. You're going to do it because you love him and that you are pleased to do good things for the Lord. But just know that at the end of the day, it's all both empowered by God and that God is pleased with it and that the outcome of your life and your good works lived for the Lord, uh, he's both going to reward those and it's not dependent upon the outcome of your, all of your work because it's, it's due to the outcome of the fact that Christ has already sealed your life. And yes, we run the bases, we hit the bags uh, and we can do it as ugly as possible, but we're going to the, the, the the run the race and finish the good fight and God will be pleased all the way. All right. Well, as we jump into a couple of the application questions, uh, let's look at uh, a couple that we want to really tackle. Have we done that yet? Nope. We need to do that. Let's do it. Which ones would you want us to focus on? We got a lot of questions. We got about nine. Which uh, ones would we like to highlight? It'll be
1: question number two and question number three in the sub you know, questions underneath those. And the reason why compass is that the first question number two is really want to help you see God's agency in your life in whatever trouble that you're in whatever problem that you're facing that God is in there he has he's doing something you got to pay attention and be a part of it and so I want to help you view your circumstance present circumstances present situations differently so that you can please God in the way that you react in a way that exalts him and then question number excuse me three is I uh, re- really want you and God wants you. It's not just me. God wants you to remember that his goal is to conform you to his son's image. And so whatever you're facing, God has allowed it so that you can reflect who he is to a watching world, to display his wonderful nature. And so knowing that, you know, that Christ likeness, your sanctification is when the end goal, not the end, well, the end goal, one of the goals for God in your life. That should be help you see your life a little differently and how you define what is good, how you react to whatever tough obstacle that you're facing. And so those are two questions I'd like for you to focus on as you do all of them, but really pay attention to.
0: All right. Well, we should jump into our daily Bible reading spotlight. We are going to uh, actually talk to you about the spotlight of the week that you have just finished up. Yeah, uh, because we didn't get to jump into that last week because we didn't have a podcast because of our break. So, Pastor Evan, what do you have for us in Ezekiel 24 through 39? Let's jump in. And so this is what you just read, and
1: uh, I love to do the name meanings because it's interesting to see how you know God works things. So Ezekiel, it actually means God strengthens, and so we should see that, should see that as a theme. And as a reminder, Pastor Hayden talked through, Ezekiel was a priest or should have been a priest and he began to see visions from God at age 30, which is important because at age 30, the men who were qualified to be priests, that's when they began their priesthood at age 30. And, and so, rabbis in the New Testament. There you go. And so when he was supposed to start his priesthood, he was exiled in Babylon, however, God not to the other priest revealed himself to Ezekiel and showed that this what his priesthood would be like his his mission would be like and his activity his mission is about 22 years so from the age of 30 to 52 as a reminder some background information throughout the whole book of Ezekiel as we're wrapping it up this week is remember this is uh, Ezekiel exiled in Babylon even though he has visions of Jerusalem at his current situation, um, but also Jerusalem to come. And it's about the unfaithfulness of Israel. And so as he was ministering to Babylon, he, um, he's just sharing a message that he knew is going to fall on deaf ears. I'm um, going helpful resource, by the way, is the Bible knowledge commentary, um, by Char- Charles Dyer is a helpful uh, resource for the prophets. And he says in his book that, uh, the fall of Jerusalem was, uh, the fall of the city prompted a charge in Ezekiel's prophetic message. Before Jerusalem fell, quoting, Ezekiel's message focused on Judah's forthcoming destruction because of their sin. And after Jerusalem's fall, which we're in now in Ezekiel, e- Ezekiel's message centered on Jerusalem, Judah's future restoration. So you almost see the book in halves where in the before Jerusalem falls, it's the coming destruction, and after Jerusalem falls, it's the coming restoration. and You'll see that theme throughout Ezekiel once the fall of Jerusalem happened. Um, The hard part about the prophets is that a lot of them are happening at the same time. And uh, another helpful resource is the Haley's uh, Bible Handbook. And he shows how Ezekiel and Daniel were probably peers at some point because Daniel's already in Babylon where Ezekiel is. And Daniel's in charge of all the wise men in Babylon. We see that in the book of Daniel. Uh, not only that, we have Ezekiel and Jeremiah. They were living at the same time, doing ministry work at the same time. It's just Jeremiah was in Jerusalem, Ezekiel was in Babylon. And, uh, and so it's just the reason why the prophets are hard to understand because we have to do some heavy lifting and heavy study to understand that they're talking about similar events happening at the same time. And so, and one last thing about Ezekiel is that he's a big reference to um, the Apostle John as he writes Revelation. So there's a lot of different themes. Like you, this week, you read about Gog and Magog, and that's also mentioned in Revelation 20. And you know, Ezekiel ate the book, John ate the scroll. There's a new Jerusalem that's mentioned both in Ezekiel and Revelation. So you're gonna see some themes in Ezekiel that you'll that'll turn back up in Revelation.
0: Which points us to the fact that Ezekiel, in so many ways, is eschatological. A lot of the future promises that you see, even as you were quoting Dyer, uh, Ezekiel's message centers on Judah's future restoration. Well, this wasn't This isn't meant as a future like in the past, like sometime it happened between then and now, but that it's still yet a future event that is to be taking place, which is why you see Ezekiel and John uh, paralleling so much, because even still it's a future eschatological hope of a restoration of God's people, Israel all right well as pastor hayden talked about a couple of weeks
1: ago is th- these books are kind of hard because there's a lot of imagery Funk, happening funky imagery a little funky imagery and messages but they're, they're for a purpose there's a theological purpose and point and so what you notice this last week god's really illustrating israel's sins and very graphic nature as he talks about the two daughters uh, Ahola and <laughs> Um I hope I pronounced those right. Who knows? I don't know. But the promiscuous daughters that are supposed to represent Israel and Judah, how they uh, lack a better word, that's what the Bible says, they hoard themselves after false gods. Bearing
0: the consequences of their lewdness and whoring is what it says in verse 35. And so it's just to illustrate Israel's sin and what the
1: repercussions of that sin is as they are about to reap the consequences of uh, their sin through God using Babylon to destroy them. Um, Also, speaking of which, uh, uh, Ezekiel, there's a lot of illustrating of the seriousness of God's judgment. I mean, Ezekiel's wife dies, and God says, don't cry. And the reason why is because there's a point when people ask, why aren't you mourning? And God is using Ezekiel to say, I'm mourning because as my wife died your your wife is about to die Jerusalem's about to die, and you should not cry because it is a judgment not just for Ezekiel's wife but is Jerusalem is going to be judged because and judge rightly for their sins so don't weep for their judgment essentially mm. um God's making a point sometimes it's tough to hear um you're also going to notice how God judges Jerusalem and then'll judge Israel's enemies um. And the reason why, and this is out throughout Ezekiel 29 to 30, is like the judgment of Egypt, the judgment of Moab, the judgment of so on and so on. But for what point? Every single judgment. So that they, these nations, will know that God is Lord. Even though they feel like they beat God, because that's how ancient times worked, that if your nation beat that nation, that your gods are more powerful than their, their gods. Well, their gods seemingly took down Yahweh, and God's like, yeah, no. <laughs> I'm going to show that now I am God. And actually, I used you to prove my point. So who's the God now? So God is, you know, what the kids would say, flexing on these nations. <laughs> I know. I That's a student ministry coming Ooh, uh, out uh, there. Uh, uh. Old, old 10 years of student ministry. Uh, but in Ezekiel 24 to 32, you're seeing that God is judging these nations so that they will know that God is true. Um, and then kind of landing the plane here. You're going to notice this past week about Ezekiel being a faithful watchman over Israel. And how he is needs to be faithful to proclaim the warnings and uh, restoration to come. If he doesn't, he's responsible. But if he proclaims it and they reject it, they're responsible. And it ties in today. We're called to be faithful to share the gospel. And if they reject it, okay, they're responsible. But if we don't say anything, you know, that's not good. And so, so we to make sure that we are good watchmen over our own areas. Make sure, are we making disciples? Are we reaching the lost? Um, finally, Actually, a couple more quick things. You notice in Ezekiel 34, this is where... The, Ezekiel? Ezekiel. Ezekiel. <laughs> uh, That's so good. Ezekiel. Ezekiel, Ezekiel 34. Um, <laughs> you're going to notice this is the shepherd passage. And this is the passage. You need to bookmark this. This is the passage that Jesus is referring to in John chapter 10 when he's saying, I am the good shepherd. Because in Ezekiel 34, he's saying, shepherds, you're terrible, Israel. Priests were supposed to be the shepherds. I will do the job. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And furthermore, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant, David. And just to prove the point that the Old Testament is constantly pointing to the new, and the new is better explained understanding the old. And so Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. He's saying, I am God. I am the God of Ezekiel 34, and I am the servant David of Ezekiel 34. Um, and then finally, we have the new heart and new spirit indwelling dwelling in the believer in Ezekiel thirty six, and he'll give us a new heart and new spirit that will be able to obey God. And so, with all that you're gonna that you read this last week and what you're reading now, the whole point is for you to know that God is God, that God is the true God, He is the only God, and also to see how the Old Testament and the New Testament and the whole Bible is they're they're connected. It's one giant meta narrative. Um, to display God and His plan and His in His glory,
0: and so and when you look at again, I know we talked about it briefly, but that uh, Israel's future restoration. If you look in Ezekiel thirty-seven, and you got to know a little bit of the timeline because it says, "My servant David shall be king over them." Well, that's interesting. And if you don't know the timeline of the Old Testament, David's dead; he's gone, and so w- you can't, like so many may want to, is uh, say, "Well, like, they're just talking about David being king over them again." Well, he can't; he's gone. And so, again, that is why, as we talked about Matthew and this coming Davidic king, uh, we see Jesus as fulfilling that uh, and him saying that I am the shepherd. And it says literally in verse 24 that my shepherd, my servant David, shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd. And so it keeps going. But th- to look at Ezekiel, especially at the end of it, as a future hope, uh, even something that we talked about a little bit today of the hope that we have in God's promises.
1: All right. So, the really big takeaway compass. Make sure you know your Bible because the whole Bible is connected and talking about itself to reveal the wonderful portrait of who God is and how we can live a life glorifying Him. So that is your daily Bible reading spotlight. Pastor Hayden, we have like a billion announcements. We do. So what are those billion announcements? All
0: right, let's go quick. Exploring Compass Intensive, December 4th. When you're listening to this, that means the next Sunday that you're going to be at church, we'll have this. If you haven't registered, we'd love for you to do that right now. Lunch and child care are provided. We have Christmas at Compass, and with that comes six specific events that we want you to know about. Number one, Women's Coffee, December 3rd. Uh, We would love to have you there at our second annual Women's Christmas Coffee. We have our Christmas series, the He Is series, out of Isaiah chapter 9 that we'll be talking about. And that starts uh, this first week, December the 4th. Uh, we'll so start our Sunday. Christmas series. Yeah, next Sunday. It starts next Sunday. And then we have our Christmas celebration on December 11th, Woo-hoo! an opportunity for us to celebrate what God's done and invite people to come hear the message of the gospel. But then we have our kids' Christmas choir on yeah. December the 18th, and we want you to make sure to invite your family to this. We have about 30-something of our kiddos in that program. We'd love for you to come be a part of that great celebration on December the 18th. Then we have our Christmas Eve family services on Saturday, December 24th at 5.30 and 7 p.m. We want you to make this a regular uh, tradition uh, to bring your family to come celebrate every Christmas Eve uh, the birth of Christ, Uh, and let's do it here this year at Compass Bible Church. And then this is a unique year where the very next day we want you to join us at 11 a.m. for our Christmas Day family service. It's unique that Christmas is the next day? It's unique that it's on Sunday. I know. It's, like it's unique that it's on Sunday. We're all going to be here together. And for both Christmas Eve and the Christmas Day service, we'll have child care from birth to four. Birth to four. And all the rest of your family will be in the auditorium with us. We'll give your kiddos a packet, things that can keep their attention, help them learn a little bit. Uh, as their family, as a whole family, you will worship together uh, on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. and there, oh, wait, there's more! Well, there's one Christmas service on the 11 a.m., but the more announcements is we have our Angel Tree, and our Angel Tree program we're going to launch in the next week or so as we get all of the content we need. Uh, and as the families who have signed up, we would love for you to grab one of their angels off the tree, and then provide a gift for them, and we'll meet back here on the 16th to have a little, uh, little, little party, a little fiesta for the families who come. Christmas fiesta? I don't know what that's called. Uh, we're going a party for them on the 16th, and so you'll, you'll see that tree out in the lobby in the next couple weeks. We have our serve team celebration on December the 18th. You need to register for that, but plan to be there if you have. Uh, gone through Exploring Compass at one point, and have served at Compass over the last year, we would love to have you at our Serve Team Celebration. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be wild. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. We want you to be a part of it, to come celebrate all that God's done through the people in our church. And then finally, we have our baptism on January the 8th, and we want to encourage you... Uh, to, if you have never followed through in Believer's Baptism, that you would do so. Register now at compasshillcruncher.org Under the Get Involved tab, you can click Get Baptized, fill out that, and we'd love to meet with you to talk through your testimony and get you ready for our baptism service on January the 8th.
1: All right, so Compass, what we need to do is back up about 30 seconds, put us on half speed to get a notepad and paper and write all
0: that <laughs> down so you
1: can redo that again.
0: That was so many things. All right, Compass, we love you guys. We're so grateful for you. We're so grateful of all things God is doing here. Uh, in our midst and we just pray that God would continue being most glorified through the faithfulness of his church we'll see you guys next week